Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week is fun. This week we're talking to one of the greatest characters in punk rock history, Jack Grisham. So Jack, if you guys don't know, he was the front man, still is, of TSOL. And in the late 70s, early 80s, they start making a buzz in the Southern California hardcore scene. They put out two albums. The second one, uh, Beneath the Shadows, is really sort of expansive. It's taking punk to kind of new places. But after that, he leaves. And he goes on and forms all these other side projects and other things. In fact, in the 90s, he starts having some success with another offshoot band called The Joy Killer. But in the, in the early 2000s, he comes back to TSOL, who, by the way, went on to be kind of more like a hair metal band while he was gone. He comes back and they've been, tower, they've been going for it ever since. He is one of the greatest storytellers, the greatest personalities that rock, let alone punk rock, has ever given the world. He is the best. And in this conversation, we talk about everything. I mean, of course, we talk about punk, what it means, what it doesn't mean, what it really is. But we also get into homelessness, his marriages, his sobriety, uh, all these different things. He is just such a fantastic character. Now, you're listening to Sweet Transvestite. He's done some covers since being in lockdown, and this is one of them from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It is so great. Uh, so he talks about that in here as well. There's just a lot to Jack. He continues to, he also writes books. He makes movies. He's a hypnotherapist. There's a little bit of everything in here. And if you're unfamiliar with TSOL, go check it out. The first two albums, Dance With Me and Beneath the Shadows are great, but everything they've been doing in the last 20 years or so is also fantastic. I love Jack a lot. He's one of my favorite characters in rock. He called me from his home in Huntington Beach, California. Okay, so first and foremost, before we get to that Bowie cover, tell me about why there's the Sweet Transvestite cover. Because I love that song, and I've seen that movie a million times, and it makes sense for you to do this, but I'm wondering, what's the context? Is there some, like, Rocky Horror tribute album coming no, out that you're a part no. of? Why did you do it? There was nothing. It was just, you know, see around board, most stuff comes from being bored. <laughs> It's like, you know, the, you know, idle hands or the devil's uh -huh. workshop, that kind of stuff. And right. I always tell people it's, it's like they used to, you know, put the, put the insane weaving baskets and stuff. You got to keep them busy because if they're not busy, they're going to get into trouble. So, so for me, it's, it's just something will come up and I'll go, oh, let's do that. Oh, let's do that. Let's do that. So, so the, the sweet transvestite thing, it, it was one of those deals. It's like, oh, oh well, what had happened with, now I remember somebody was doing a Dr. Demento cover record. They had done oh. one before and they said, hey, do you want to do a song? And we said, I go, yeah, well, we'll do this. And then he gave me a comment that said, oh, well, I thought you would do it differently mm. when he heard it. And I go, well, okay. So he doesn't like it. <laughs> you know, this is how I think, right? Because yeah, I, yeah. I constantly make up my own narrative. Uh -huh, it doesn't matter. Uh -huh. You can say something to me and five minutes later, I've accused you of all sorts of shit. So I go, oh, well, he doesn't like it. We'll just put it out ourselves because it was so true to the original. Yeah. You know, and then the guy called me and goes, what are you doing? You put that out? I go, yeah, well, you didn't like it. He goes, I never said I. <laughs> just, you know, I mean, one time uh, the bassist of TSL, Mike Roach, said that business, uh, doing business with Jack is like going to the zoo. 
and and I, I I think I still live up to that sometimes. I could see that. I could see that. So what's the Bowie cover then? What what's okay, the context so, there? <laughs> just another. So I okay. I, ever since I was a kid, I loved soul music. That's uh-huh. what I. I mean, even in the height of of really like gnarly punk rock business. I mean, out you know, picture me in a car load of fiends uh-huh. getting ready to do commercial burglaries or whatever and i've got them listening to the stylistics <laughs> why we're going or just you know they you know you expect nice. the car they'd be playing the germs or black right. flag or something it's like no we're listening to the stylistics <laughs> right now you know why everybody's armed you know, uh-huh. <laughs> she's got guns on listening to the stylistics or the delphonics or whatever yes. and, uh, so you know the bowie thing i i you know, I loved Young Americans. I loved the Young Americans record. I thought it was so cool when he did it. When you read about the change he made and how he did it, and how everyone was pissed at him mm-hmm. for doing it. Mm-hmm. I've always loved it. And I love that song. The song's called Can You Hear Me? And I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it. came up in my head and and I just started calling friends and saying hey will you play on this and it's like Murphy Murphy Cargis who was the bass player for Sugar Ray so so Murphy goes I love this he goes you just say you're gonna do something next thing you know we're already recording it doing and, it uh, yeah and uh just kind of it all kind of fell apart fell together and we sent uh-huh. the track around because it's during COVID you know so sure. you, you gotta send stuff around and uh and we came it up with used real strings, used everything, and uh, oh my gosh. people were shocked. They're like, they're like, really, you're singing falsetto on this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and well, uh, I feel like anyone who pays attention to you, um, you've sort of broken out of the boundaries. In fact, I was thinking about this, getting ready to talk to you, not to get serious so fast, but one of the things I feel like about Jack Grisham is that Jack realized immediately the limit seemed to realize immediately the limitations of punk and that it wasn't just going to be some you know hardcore two-minute songs and to expand on that i don't know if you did that consciously but that's how it feels to us well it's funny you know it's funny for me because when i got into punk rock 
Walla Voodoo was a punk band. Mm. <laughs> I'm saying the Go-Go's, the Go-Go's were a punk band. So to me, it wasn't this specific sound. It was just to do anything you wanted. And right. it was no longer this, I mean, look, coming out of the 70s, 70 was bad news, man. First of all, you had to sound like Steve Perry if you wanted to be in a rock band. You know, it's like, you know, the golden voice of rock and roll. And, you know, and here are these guys and they played their instrument. They've studied their craft. You know, they've studied their craft for their whole life. And they're in this, they go to these recording studios and 42 track songs and everything's fucking perfect. And along comes punk rock and it's like, hey, I just picked up this guitar and we're making a record tomorrow. You know, it was that kind of thing. And it was so cool. And it was like, it was wide open to me. Yeah. So sometimes it's funny to me. Like if somebody goes, well, you're not, punk. it's like, this is punk rock. I'm doing right. whatever the fuck I want. And I'm not really concerned with what you think about it. Right. So, you know, yeah. so it's always been, let's try this. Let's try that. Let's try this. Yeah. You know. You're, you, you, you uh, subscribe more to the idea that punk is an attitude versus punk is a song or a uniform or a style. It's more exactly. the where you're coming from creatively when you're doing it, right? Right, and that's where it came from. It was all just that attitude. You just yeah. go do it. You know, you just go do it. Yeah. You know, somebody goes, well, you know, like I get on these people, they say, well, I'm thinking about writing a book. Well, write me a page. <laughs> Send me a page. <laughs> yeah. You know, give me something to read. Just do it, you know. And, yeah. and that's the, like, that's the attitude. That's where I grew up. I grew up in that. I grew yeah. up in, you got to get off your ass and go do it. Yeah. Stop waiting around for other people to do something with you. Just jump in and, yeah. and then worry about it later. So, okay. So when you were making uh, Beneath the Shadows, it's such a departure from the punk sound, from the Dance With Me sound. As you're doing it, is, is it just as casual as this? Like, hey, punk can be anything. Let's just experiment. Or yeah. you... You know full well that you're changing the game with this album. No. Not, no thought whatsoever about that. There is never, see, sometimes, especially my ex-wives, they, uh, they, they always accuse me of being manipulative. Mm. But, but if, <laughs> looking at my girl right now, I'm so, so, but if I am, it's totally subconscious. It's not yeah. conscious. I wander around, I'm more like Mr. Magoo, man. I'm just wandering around bumping into shit, you know? Right, right. And, and when we did Beneath the Shadows, 
and I, I want to touch on this with Tom Wilson, the producer. When we did Beneath the Shadows, we we're just trying stuff. Yeah. It's like, hey, let's try stuff. Now, when I listen back to that record, I cringe. Like, I cringe. Why? Because, well, my singing, I'm flat all over the place. <laughs> I'm just trying, you know, trying stuff. And, and yeah. if you listen to the drums, the drums don't come in on time. You know, it's like, oh, my God. You know, it was, a, it was like, you know, it definitely wasn't a pet sounds. You know what I yeah. mean? Well, crazy. yeah. But, but we took a shot and we did it. And, you know, the cool thing was Tom Wilson as a producer of TSOL. He produced all those early TSOL records. At first, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. There's producers that get in and tear apart a sound, like what they did with Nirvana's Nevermind, where they got in and said, okay, you're going to play this a bunch of times, then this, we're going to cut this together. That, there's that kind of producer. Uh -huh. And then there's a producer that's more like an art collector. And he's going out and he's collecting sounds, a real folk, almost like a folk collector of somebody that would go around. And Tom Wilson was more that guy. He didn't want to come in and make us not be us. He wanted to capture us, whatever that was. Mm -hmm. So he, he didn't say, hey, I need you to do this, I need you to do that. You're flat here, you're coming in late here, little out of tune on the guitar. He's, none of that. It yeah. was he, I'm gonna take a picture of you guys. It's capturing a so, moment. So, and, yeah, and I really appreciate it now, and, and the maturity that it takes to sit back and not try to help. Like, you know what I mean? To not yeah. try to enforce your will or to help or to, to guide let you guys be on. you. Exactly. Yeah. Which, which I learned a big, le you know, I wish Tom was still alive, but I could tell him that because I, I learned a big lesson from that, especially in working with other musicians. It's like, if you're going to work, you're working with a bass player. Well, you got him because he's great. So now you're going to tell him how to play. Now you're going to say, oh, do it like this, do it like that. It's like, dude, just do what you do. Yeah. I just want you to do what you do, and I'm going to sit back. Same thing with the keyboard player, guitar, whatever. You know, you, you're working with these guys because you admire them. Yeah. So don't try to tell them how to do a job that you already loved. You know? I love that. And, uh, I love it. So I came to – oh, go ahead. No, no, no. And I was going to say it's the same with artwork or whatever it is. You know, to sit back and say, I got you because I, I – love you now yes. i may not like what you're doing i may not dig it it may not go with me but i know in the end i'm going to look back and admire your work right and, and that takes a lot of maturity to do yeah. that i could see that so i came to you and to tsol later and i'll tell you about i'll tell you that story here in a minute so i don't know what was the response in the punk community especially in southern california at the time of Beneath the shadows coming out. Are people thinking, who are these guys? What happened to my band? Or are they admiring the expansion? What's what's the response? Well, every record we came out with, they, <laughs> they hated it. They hated really? dance with me when it came yeah. out, you know, which is so funny. The night, the silently, I creep on. 
But the people that didn't hate it were the people that saw it live all the time. Because now, now away, you go away and, and, you know, all of a sudden a record like Beneath the Shadows comes out from the same guys that did Abolish Government. You're thinking, wow, what the hell, man? This is, yeah. you know, these guys have gone off the rails. This is shit, blah, blah, blah. But if you lived here and you saw the live shows, it was more like it. And I, I say this with all due respect. It was more like a queen show or something where you got you know lazing on a sunday afternoon and then they tear into death on two legs or something you know so so we we'd play abolish government abolish government and then all of a sudden a beautiful piano party break out yes. and go into that you know yeah. so live they saw that it still had the muscle and the intensity and everything was thrown in there as we're progressing so um okay you know, but yeah okay. we took a lot of crap and it was there was a like a always a, a couple year gap in yeah between, in between yeah you know, liking like no one ever liked anything right when it came out right right so why did you leave why did you what was the why after beneath the shadows do you go do you leave well a lot of it was because it was hard for us to play places we had there was a lot of riots that we were involved yeah. in we were blacklisted for a, for a, a lot of clubs and and what I told the guys, which probably was taking that punk ethic probably like a little bit too far, mm -hmm. I said, hey, let's just change our name. Yeah. Let's just, same band, same thing. Let's just call ourselves something else yeah. and keep playing shows. And they said, you're fucking crazy. You know what I mean? You can't, yeah. do, I go, what? who says we can't do that? Yeah. You know what? It's like, F you guys, man. Let's just call ourselves, you know, the, the rubber tires or whatever, and let's just play shows. Yeah. And, and so, but the difference was there was ego involved in, you know, and it's funny, and they call me an egomaniac, but the ego was, hey, we built up this, we're going to keep doing it. They put everything in the name, and uh -huh. to me, the name meant nothing. Right. I changed my name on every record. I didn't give a shit. Right. Okay. You know, keeping that makes it real. Sense. <laughs> right that real. makes sense you know and it's um, that same thing where they say uh you know i've been keeping it real so long that i'm uh, still living at my mother's with no car <laughs> that's pretty real yes yeah but the punk kids loving me yeah yeah so okay so there's a lot of there's a lot of questions i have about the sort of the ethos of punk that i want to ask you about specifically but you talk about name changes you have so many other projects i can't keep them all straight to be honest but cathedral of tears
I love that. And and I'm more, I have to be, I mean, I, I have, I love punk rock, but I am more of like the synthy human league guy yeah, in yeah, my yeah. core, you know? Yeah. And so I, like, where did this come from? Where, why, well, why do that? Ultra I love box. it, by the way. You know, blame Ultrabox. Okay, you know okay. I mean? blame, uh-huh. blame, you know, here, here's the thing. It, it's like, I started listening to music, yeah. like really listening to it. Like I never thought, so, okay, so I'm a writer too, right? And uh-huh. I've read my whole life. I, I, I'm a reader, that's it. Mm-hmm. Like I was shocked when I got older and found out that people had TV shows. Like, it was like, that just sounded so crazy. I had a, a friend that, that needed to be home on Thursday to watch Seinfeld. And I'm thinking, I don't understand. You need right. to be at the TV for something? Uh-huh. Was like, like, it was like so foreign to me because I just read, you know? Uh-huh. Okay. So, but I didn't start looking at the mechanics of writing until I started writing. Now, the same thing with music. I listened to stuff. Of course, I grew up listening to stuff, but I didn't listen. I didn't focus on the mechanics of what I was listening to. Yeah. So then when I start playing, playing records, you know, making records and looking at it, I started saying, well, what, you know, what is, what do the guys in T-Rex do here? Mm-hmm. What does Bowie do here? What is Ultravox? Oh, that's kind of bitching that they're doing that. How's that? You know, and started listening. And so when I listened, I wanted to experiment. And I wanted to try it. And, and I really wanted to step away from, you know, quote unquote, punk rock. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because in my opinion, punk rock had just gotten to the point where it's just a look yeah. and nothing else. That's it. It's like, it, it, it's like man, you know, you, I, I, okay, I went to a show one time and I'm dressed as I'm dressed. And I'm in the bathroom and these guys see me. And, uh, you know, I heard this one guy say, Something about, you know, oh, fucking faggots getting involved in the scene or something like that. To me, they saw yeah. me. I, and I, let me tell you something, I had an excellent outfit on. <laughs> I had been to the Huntington Library, uh-huh. and they had Pinky and Blue Boy in the library, those paintings. I think they're by Remington or whatever. Okay. So I had this badass blue suit with this fruff, you know, this collar and... You know, I had some top ciders and I did them. I mean, I look badass, man. And, uh, anyway, so they they basically accused me of being a homosexual and getting into punk rock, blah blah blah. And they turn around, the dude's got TSOL written on the back of his jacket. It's it's <laughs> like, you know, and that was just one more thing where I thought it, it's. They have no go. idea. It's yeah. time to go. I'm I don't need it. So, yeah. So then when I started Cathedral of Tears, it's like I'm going to get as far away from punk rock as I can. Yeah. Any of those guys are going to walk in and they will not dig it. Yeah. uh, I love it. Yeah. That's what we did. I love it. I had, uh, I had Ian speaking of the human league, just to go back to that. I had Ian burden from the human league on here a while ago. And I was telling him this, my, my going back to that idea of punk is an attitude to me, if we're really talking about what the true essence of punk is, which is just DIY, do it yourself to me, a band like, in your case, Cathedral of Tears or Human League or whatever. If, if we're talking about getting that, that instrument, learning to play it in a day and recording a song, what's the, you're, punk bands do it on a guitar, but some bands do it on a synthesizer. It's the same punk philosophy as going into this creation. You know what I'm saying? I, we I think of punk, I yeah. we think I of punk exactly. as being the guy who's banging on the guitar, but the guy who's 
pressing buttons on the blippy bloopy old synthesizers coming from the same punk mentality as the other guy. You bet. You bet. And the other thing beyond just having that, you know, DIY jump in, who cares? Just let's make some noise and have some fun. Yeah. The other thing is the attitude, the anti-rock star attitude that goes with it. And I'll tell you, I've played with some supposed punk bands uh-huh. that are worse than anything I've ever seen out of a, you know, a Led Zeppelin backstage story or some, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. you know, I've gone with these guys. It's like, dude, what? Because you're wearing that jacket and you yeah. play hard chords, you're as far from, you know, right. I, I'll tell you, when I was in this band, The Joy Killer, we went on tour with Sponge. 16 Candles, remember 16 Candles? Uh-huh. Yeah. So on the radio tour. So we're on tour with Sponge, right? So I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to be bummed out. Uh-huh. I'm thinking, yeah, I know how these radio guys are. This is just, you know, so I got all this preconceived story in my head. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, those guys treated us better than I have ever been treated. Really? Before. Oh my God. They, they, the guy would say like the, the, their stage manager, whatever they'd say, they'd come and go, Hey Jack, we want to make sure you guys get a sound check. And I'm like, Hey, we don't need one, man. We're cool. He goes, no, we're going to hold doors and make sure that you guys get one. No way. You know, I mean, they did stuff like that. They, yeah. they made sure they knew that we were traveling in a band and we didn't have a lot of, in a van and we didn't have a lot of money and they would save us their deli stuff and give it to okay. us. And they, like, they totally made sure we were taken care of. That's you great. Know? And, and I would consider that part of a supposed punk ethos, that thing, yeah. where there's no rock stars, no bosses, no, yeah. no hierarchy of any kind. It's just, hey, let's do this. Let's yeah. just do this. And, yeah. you know, and that's something else I've always believed in. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like yeah. okay, one, one time T.S. Wells playing a show, and it's a big show. And I get a call from this booking agent, and she says, hey, I'm not going to say the band's name because I actually do like them, even Mm -hmm. though I dislike a lot of what they do. Uh, The booking agent said, hey, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so are outside. Can you get them in the back? They don't want to walk through the crowd. And and I just, I I thought, no. I go, tell so-and-so and so-and-so that you told me that and I told them to F off. (laughs) It's like, because here are these guys that are supposed yeah. You know, heroes, yeah. heroes and so down and so right. righteous and blah, blah, blah. And they don't want to walk through a crowd of people that admire and support them. Yeah. Are you from the, of the people or not? Exactly. You're saying this, it, it's almost as if the true punk posers, which no one cares more about posing than the punk community does, but it's almost like the true punk posers are the guys who are, who label themselves punk as a way to act like assholes for the rest of their careers. They never have to fully uh, grow up. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I don't know what, and I, look, I'm all fun. Sh- I'm all for some shenanigans. Sure, of course, <laughs> shenanigans. Nice. <laughs> some, some tomfoolery. Of course. So, you know, I've done my share, you yeah. know, catching yeah. places on fire and stuff. You know, I've done my share of that, and I'm always a big fan of that kind of stuff. But, uh, right. but yeah, just the... I don't, but I will tell you one thing. The one yes. thing sometimes, I, so I'm real paranoid. Supposedly the only person that's more paranoid than me is Andy Partridge. <laughs> so I have a, I can a, see that. One of my friends, I have, uh, Andy Partridge and I have a mutual friend. 
So he'd go, yeah, he goes, man, he goes, I'm, I'm surprised how much like Andy you are. <laughs> so I get really freaked out. Like, uh-huh. like getting on stage is terrifying for me. It makes me sick. I'm, really? par- I'm paranoid. I, it's like, I think people are out to get me. I, I, it gets really like out of control. And so one time, so, so because there's no boundaries for me or no borders, I'm, you know, I'm hanging out out in the crowd watching the opening bands, uh-huh. you know, maybe uh-huh. dancing a little, you know, getting out there having fun, man. Waiting uh-huh. to go, you know, it's a huge show. The couple thousand people, you know, it's a packed show, right? And, sure. and I'm out in the crowd just hanging out. <laughs> and so I start freaking out because this guy's looking at me and he's, you know, he's looking at me and he's mad dogging me. He's looking at me, man. And I, I start getting freaked out. And sometimes when people do that, I'll go stand by them mm. to try to like, initiate them contact mm-hmm. like you know like i'll go stand right next to him and stuff like really out there like really uh-huh. out there stuff right so i go man this dude just stared me down these guys stare me down i don't know what his problem is man but he just keeps looking at me and my buddy standing next to me goes he paid to see you stop stop it stop it he's staring at you because he paid to see you and you're standing in the crowd that's right that's right that's uh, so funny yeah my buddy why don't you just go back and lay down yeah no kidding take a nap or something so that reminds me okay so the first time i've only ever seen you in concert once and it was with the joy killer and it was maybe you'll remember this i can't remember the year 95 96 it was at it was in Salt Lake City at a big ass show. Yeah, the big, big day out or some, Yeah, some the big show. bash, yeah, yeah, yeah. big ass show, X ninety six big ass show. Yeah. And I went. Those things were so much fun for a guy in Utah where you know festivals aren't coming through. Those were fun. And you came one year. The headliner was Beck, and one year the headliner I think was Blur. And I don't remember which year you were there. But do you know what show I'm talking about? I do, and I think The Offspring played too, wasn't it? Yes, I think you're right. I think so. Yes. Which which is funny because I just saw Dexter like an hour ago, maybe two hours ago. Yeah, I was walking. I was on the bike trail, Uh and then I see he goes walking by me. I go, I go. You know, and I anyway, I stopped him. Yeah, I just, uh-huh. I just saw him on the bike path. So, no hey, way. But okay, but yeah, go back to that show. Yes. Yeah, I, so I it was the Joy Killer, and I didn't. Yeah. You were the one. I got to admit, back then, you were the one band I didn't know who you were, and you were in a suit. And I'm trying to remember the color of the suit, but it You were so out of sync with what everybody else was doing in your band and the rest of that day. But I loved it. So what? So the Joy Killer is really the first thing that starts to kind of take hold after after you leave TSOL.
what's the thinking there? Is this just another, like, well, we're going to try I a new got, band and change the name? I had, well, I had ended up getting sober. Ah, <laughs> uh, that'll do it. So I was willing to actually leave the house. Uh, uh-huh. I got sober in 1989. Okay. So, so then... Uh, so then heading into the 90s, you know, started fooling around, started taking music more seriously, not, not taking myself seriously, but taking actually playing and recording seriously uh-huh. again. So, yeah, so we, we got out and, you know, and got on the road and just, uh, I had a blast. That was one of my favorite bands and especially live. Yeah. That was such a great live band. You know, we play was. all the songs back to back together and just, you know, yeah. run through stuff. And it was really, you know, it was really fun. So again, whenever I tell musicians that I'm from Salt Lake City, they all have, um, everybody has a story. Did you find, because Salt Lake City is so, everyone's assuming this is Mormonville. And so it's so conservative and laid back. But in actuality, they have a very vibrant, thriving music community. Did you find that at all? Or did you, did oh, you pass course. through Salt Lake very often? Yeah, of course, the Masker guys. So, yeah. so when TSL used to go through Salt Lake all the time, and and we made friends with the Masker guys, and I, uh-huh. I still talk, I still talk to those a lot of those guys, you know. And uh-huh. so I love Salt Lake, and you know, always enjoyed playing shows there, always going and had a blast. And speaking of going to the synthesizer stuff, uh-huh. I met Lena Lovich in Salt yes. Lake City. Yeah. In Salt Lake? Really? In, yeah. In Salt Lake City, she was with Les, right? Les. Mm-hmm. That's her, the guy in there. That's yes. her guy. Yes. I don't know if I it can... was her husband at the time or he just played in the band or whatever. Okay. But, but they ended up coming to one of our shows. They were at a show there and uh, and real fun talking to them. Talking okay. To them. Cool. And I'll tell you, I've always wanted to do a cover of New Toy. So it was actually when, when, uh, when we were going to do Sweet Transvestite, I was thinking about doing New Toy because I oh. love it. And that song is so much more difficult than you think it is. Like really? the, cording, the cording on uh-huh. it is really out there. Because when I gave, it to, I gave it to one of my guys about breaking it down, he goes, man, he goes, this is really, <laughs> it's not what you think it is. You know, right. it sounds right. so simple, but it's, it's not. So. Well, guess what? I don't think COVID's going to ending anytime soon. So you probably still have a few more months to knock out the uh, new toy cover. Well, I already got, I'm already at work on the next one. I, oh, I'm really? Like, yeah, yeah, because uh, I had, and it's a fun one. It's, I'm not going to say what okay. it is, but, okay. it, but it is a really fun one. There needs to be a Jack Grisham COVID covers album or <laughs> compilation coming out at some point. <laughs> That's what they keep trying to say. They yeah. say, why don't you put these together, you know, but, uh, and, and it's funny because I'm working with the same crew of guys that it did the Bowie cover with, and, uh, you know, working with the same crew and just knocking it down. Okay. Um, speaking of which, I want to tell you, I think my favorite uh, TSOL album is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Free downloads. Every downloads. Yeah. yeah, I love that album. And uh, my favorite TSOL song of all might be Go to Bed Sleepy. But I can't forget your face. And I quite imagine a certain way in a most peculiar space. I'm waiting, you say. 
love that one and you sound great on that one and i'm wondering what is the you know the out the name of that album says it all but what's the motivation for tsol to make new music at this point uh well that's funny you say that okay (laughs) because why you know it's like we don't make a lot of money off playing the music we go on tour and people want to hear old stuff they Uh you know it's like we try to play a lot of new stuff we stick it in you know so there isn't any <laughs> real motivation. It, uh-huh. it's real, it, unless just picking stuff for fun and doing it, you know, just recording for fun. But recording's <laughs> expensive, man. It, especially like in TSO, we all live in different states. So Greg Keen, the keyboardist, and I, we both live here, but our drummer was living in Texas, bass player in Nevada, our guitar player, Iowa. So just for us to try to get together and then get in a studio and work, it's expensive, man. It's like, yeah. it's, it's expensive. And yeah. uh, so. If it wasn't, do you, do you get creative urges? I mean, do you, we, we're talking about all these great covers you're working on, but I mean, are you one of those guys who still has new songs, fresh songs just constantly coming out or have well, you kind yeah. of put, pump the brakes on that? No, no, no. It, it's, you know, it's funny. I won't, I won't write a lyric until it's going to be used. Oh, really? <laughs> That's what yeah. I'm serious. Like, because I, I just think to myself, it's like, God, because I write something cool and then it gets buried. I don't do it. So, so I don't even write anything until it's going to get used. Yeah. And, and sometimes I'll just get a feel. It's like, oh, let's make a record. Like T.S. Wells' last record, The Trigger Complex. That's one of my favorite one. records. I, really I love that one too. That
And that was just pretty much, okay, I want to make a record. I'm going to start writing songs. Like even the other guys in the band, they, they got mad. They said, he's over there just writing songs. What's, you know, and, and the manager at the time said, well, go over there and write with him. You yeah. know, it's like, what are you doing? You, how many yeah. songs have you written? They go, well, I haven't written any. Well, go over to his house. Yes. You, know, so, uh, you know, so like, right. But right now it's been about writing. I just finished another book. So during oh. COVID, I thought, you know, I'll just write a book, man. So yeah. I just knocked out another novel. And nice. uh, nice. while this was going on. And, What's, um, uh, now, I have, I have to admit, I haven't read your books. Are they, um, do you write about, is it like horror stuff? Are they graphic no, novels? What no, are you writing about? No. Well, the, the first book was an autobiography. That's what I thought, is, about recovery yeah, which, and stuff, right? Well, not really. Nobody gets sober in that book. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and a lot of people are, you know, they got upset with it. It's brutal. It's whatever. You know, okay, it, it is what it is. Look, uh -huh. I didn't want to just write another one of those jerk-off, rock, drugged-out rock guy. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, so there's some fantasy wrapped up in it, and people don't like that. And, you know, but I just wanted to do something different. And it got really, you know, it really got great reviews. Like, Good. like, you know, one of the reviews was that it was the only real piece of literature to come out of the punk rock scene. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that it's an actual work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then I later on, I wrote a book on recovery. And then I wrote a short story based on a T.S. Well song. We made a movie out of it, Code Blue. Code because, Blue, of course. Yeah. yeah. With, with Andy Dick. Uh-huh. <laughs> Now, okay, and going back to this, that thing about if you like somebody, let them be who they are. Yeah. Andy Dick, great example. So when we filmed the Code Blue movie, you know, there's a script. I'd written a script. And Andy had his lines, but he basically took the highlights of his lines mm -hmm. and then just worked around them. And it was so badass because he's so great in the part, man. Uh -huh. He's so great in the part. And he's, he's ad-libbing, but not ad-libbing. Right. So, so it was really cool just to see him sit back there and, and work and not yeah. wor worry about, you know, perfection. Basically. Sure, sure. And, Let him create. Um, right. And I also did the same thing. I just directed a short film um, mm -hmm. called 288, uh, Real Difficult. It's an extremely uncomfortable film. It's about uh, survivors of sexual abuse. And it also has the perpetrator speaking also. If you look really? at it, you'll find it on Vimeo. It's called 288, which is- Now, is this documentary or is it uh, scripted? Well, that's the issue. Now, okay. the issue, now people are having trouble with this too. The cool thing about not being a filmmaker is you, I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To make yeah. a film. But because it doesn't follow certain conventions of what film, you know, so people, well, is it a documentary? Is it a narrative? What is it? And, and I used uh, an interesting thing, at least, and I talked to a couple of directors I know, and they say, I've never heard anyone using that. You know, they've never, okay. So I'm on social media one day. I'm on social media. I'm screwing around on social media. And I write this post. You know, I'm always posting stupid stuff. <laughs> and I write, you know, I can't start my day without a cup of coffee. Uh -huh. That's the post. Now, comments start coming in underneath that. I need, I need two before I go. I like it hot and black. I blah, 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 blah. So they're all going. And then I erase the original post 
and I changed it to something else. I said, you know, there's nothing like, you know, sucking a big wang first thing in the morning or whatever, right? Now, their comments are still there. Like yes. their comments are still there. I like it but, hot and black. Yeah, yeah, I like it hot and black. I need two, you know, I, I'm a two-handed. <laughs> you know, so then, so then a couple hundred comments down, people are getting on going, what's with these comments, man? <laughs> you know, it's like it was really rough, right? But it gave me an idea. I don't like bad acting. Bad yeah. acting's rough. You yeah. know, you can have the greatest script, man. If the acting's bad, it blows. You're done. Yep. And so when I when I went in to make this film, I thought, well, I can't hire the kind of actors I want. I got to get people I know to do the acting, but I don't want them to act. So what I thought is, so I was physically and sexually abused when I was a kid. And so I know the feelings that go with it. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I got these friends of mine and I'd say, hey, tell me about, uh, have you ever been betrayed by somebody? Has someone that you like or a close friend or whatever ever betrayed you? And I said, now, non-specifics, but give me the feelings. What did you feel when that happened? And they, you know, they'd say, you know, God, I, I didn't even see it coming. I was blindsided. I, you know, I trusted this person. And then they came at me. So, so now... They're giving me honest answers. They're not acting. It's not scripted. But they're telling me these feelings of these certain emotions that I was looking for. And then I took those, emotion, those answers to those emotions and then laid them in a narrative about sexual and physical abuse to children. Mm. So it, it just gives this really heavy thing. Now, what was interesting is during this process, some of the actors dropped out. They said, hey, I can't do this. I'm not okay with this. Because it really was bringing up shit. Yeah. And then in the film, there were guys in the film that came to me and said, hey, I was molested. No and and I, I, I really want to be part of this. I'm in. Yeah. And, and it was so trippy because when the film started, there was only two of us that admitted to actually being molested. And then after the film was done, there was a lot more of us in that film. Wow. And then, so, so, and no one knew what the film was about. The lighting, no, the cinematographer didn't know, none of the actors knew, nobody knew what the film was about. And then I also wanted to get the perpetrator's opinion because so many times, you know, guys will come out and say, and this is a lot of, nobody wants to say anything because they don't want to, you're a liar, you're full of it, you're milking this, you're what, yeah. you know, so like for me, I just, whatever, I just, I don't care. So we got this friend of mine who plays the part as the perpetrator and I fed him lines and, and the lines, I wanted him to talk about what he thinks about people that are entitled what he thinks about, and, and he's a Marine, you know, a long-term retired Marine, you know, heavy served, you know, in Vietnam for years, you know, really yeah. a great friend of mine, but very hard, could be very hard, you yeah. know. You know, he dealt with a lot of PTSD and a lot of that. So, so he starts talking, the movies goes, you know, these punks, they always make up lies. They talk crap, they make up lies. Somebody needs to bend them over and show them what's up, you know, and just that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now taking his voice and putting it against these men's voices, yeah, 
it was like really gnarly. And Interesting. Then in, and then in the end, I, I do a monologue, which is basically almost like a love letter to the abuser. Yeah. Where I say, hey, do you ever think of me? Yeah. You ever fondly recall when you touched me? Like how you would think of an old girlfriend or something. It's like, oh, that kid was real good. You know, it's like that kind of thing. It's a real heavy piece. If you get a chance, you know, you can see it for free. It's on Vimeo. It's called 288. 288. What is 288? What is Uh, that? 288 is the penal code in California for lewd and lavicious conduct towards a minor. I wondered. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to go watch that as soon as we're done. And and Greg Keane did the score for it. Oh, he did. Yes. Well, he scored it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's, okay. a, it's it. You know, it's got best of at a couple of film festivals. Yeah. And a, but it's it's the way the film is structured. It's different. It's yeah. not, like I said, not a narrative, not a documentary. So wow. it's, it's okay. been, uh, you know. Okay. Um, you know, you mentioning your military friend. I I wanted to ask you about this because you you grew up with a military father, did you mm-hmm. not? And I wondered, yes, saluting, yes. And I wondered <laughs> if if your defiant punk rock attitude, especially when you were young, is a response to having a military dad. Yeah, of course. Is it that simple? Okay, yeah, I thought. I it mean, might it's be. Really, it, look, it's really that. And and the trouble is, look, I you know I had a lot of uh, resentment towards my father when I was younger, and and that and the way I you know the way I grew up, he was very physical man. He was very physical, very hard. Out some throughout the house a lot of you know and then there was other like emotional dance like I disappeared I was 11 years old and ran off with a carnival worker at 11 years old now I was gone for weeks some carny that I met up at the a small carnival I was gone for weeks and they didn't call the cops nobody I was 11 and and you know it's like and I went to my mom and we lived in like a nice suburban nice neighborhood you know? And I remember asking my mom one time, I I said, mom, I go, do you remember when I ran off with the carny? And she goes, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I go, I was like, what? Like 11 or 12 at the time. She goes, yeah, probably 11. I go and uh, gone for two weeks. She goes, yeah, about, yeah, about two weeks. I go, and you didn't call the cops? She goes, well, we knew you'd be back. (laughs) What do you mean you knew I'd be back? That was her thinking, you wow. know? So, so, so yes, I had that defiance, that rage, all that yeah. stuff, you know, hated, you know, got into it with my father, whatever. But then I look back now and think, oh my God, man, I, now that I'm a parent, yeah. I think I couldn't even imagine trying to deal with a kid like me. Yeah. I mean, when I was in third grade, I had a subscription to psychology today. I was, you know, yeah, I was, you know, it's like, you know, you got yeah. a, you got a, a mental case. Uh-huh. You know, and and my parents would go to the store. They come home. I'm shooting flaming gas-soaked arrows over the backyard. No way. You know, you were I, that kid. Yeah, drowning kids. You know, just like craziness yeah. constantly. Yeah. So, you know, I wonder what would have become of you if you hadn't discovered punk rock. Well. I don't know. I think about that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wondered, you know, it's like one time I was, I was on the lawn, I was at Harvard and I'm sitting on the lawn, you know, and, uh-huh. uh, and I thought to myself, I thought, you know, I, I could have wed here yeah. if, if I wasn't so mental, yeah. you know what I mean? If I wasn't, if I, if I hadn't been such a mental case uh-huh. to go with it, but you know, I'm, I, 
you know, I was emotionally damaged for years, like a child. It, it's like, it's just uh, never grew up, just yeah. emotionally just fried. Yeah, fried. I could see that. Um, okay, so that leads me, I wanted to, this is something that I've heard you mention, I read it in articles about you and stuff. What's with the marrying the 14-year-old Mexican girl or whatever? Well, she was 16 and she was oh, from 16. America. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm combining stories, I don't know. I'm just... <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and sadly, she's dead now. She died. Oh. And, uh, you know, really sad. I loved her dearly. Uh, How old was, were you? I was probably, I think when we got married, I might have been 25, maybe. Okay. Something like that. And, uh, you know, um, I, I just loved her dearly, and she was so sweet. It, it's like, man, that woman, if, if she wasn't on drugs, yeah. now if she's on drugs, she'll kill you. Uh-huh. You know, she, I mean, she hired guys to kill me. You know, it's like she, like, it was really gnarly. Like, she was... You know, we're not talking some innocent little thing. You know, this isn't like, you know, this is like, oh, Jack took a little kitten and put it in a bag. No, Jack was hooked up with some leopard. You know, what I mean? yeah, this, okay. you know some panther. Uh -huh. It was basically, I mean, you know, she was smuggling and doing whatever else and just doing all sorts of crazy shit. But when she was sober, this is the kind of woman that would see a, she would stop by and see a care unit or something. She'd get out and talk to the, people and you know foot rubs and yeah. you know like you know just so full of love and kindness yeah. and uh yeah. she ended up dying from a drug overdose and um her mom her mom uh hated me yeah. my dad hated me and uh but because i got sober and started working a thing i was able to talk to her mom and and one of the coolest things you know for the first book i had when it was released the mom showed up with the, her daughter Oh. Her daughter that she had after yeah. me showed up, yeah. you know, and I started crying when I saw her and I told her I was sorry. And she said, she goes, sweetheart, I understand. Mm. She goes, we, we all had troubles back then. And, uh, yeah. and I later on talked to her on the phone and she said, hey, I would vouch for you anywhere. Oh, nice. I, you know, that, that, and, and when her daughter died, she called me to be uh, Paul Bearer at the center. Oh. So this, this was a real, was this a... I, I don't know how else to say this. Was this a real marriage? Were you two married, living well, we together married, for years or what? No, no, no. We got married in Mexico. It was just, it was that's just, what it you know, it was just crazy. We went down to Mexico and we got married there. So people go, well, that's not a real marriage. Why? Because you get married in Mexico. You get married in another country. It's like, it right. doesn't make it real. No, you know, know, it was, it was real. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it just, uh, she was were great. you in? Were you too? I mean, were you truly committed to this? Is my wife? I love her. I want to make yeah. this work. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was, but it was so. I, I was so out of control at the time yeah. too, and there was a lot of, you know, drugs now call involved, and you know, yeah. just really. That was towards the end of when I got sober. That was okay. towards the end. Uh, I had my daughter. You know, it was. It wasn't a very pleasant, a very dark time. Yeah. I could imagine. I could see that. That keeps coming up when I do research on you. So I felt like I had to ask. Speaking of things I have to ask. So let's talk about this tattoo on your face, Jack, because <laughs> again, I just keep thinking right before we get on, I'm listening to an interview of you from a, forever ago. And you're like, yeah, I really, I've never liked tattoos, but I was wasted. And I went into a tattoo shop and they started doing it on my nipple and it didn't get finished. And I've left it there ever since. And I'm like, because I got to admit, I'm kind of anti-tattoos myself. And uh, so I'm like, well, here's a guy who 
but now you've got this thing on your face. What's going on? <laughs> well, my friends were laughing about it. They said, well, just go straight to the face. Then. Yeah. <laughs> right. well, okay, so this, I try to condense this story. So, okay. And this does have to do with John Doe from X. Oh, this really? Okay. John Doe. Anyway, okay. So when I was a kid, I got hit in the face with a rock on my eye where the tattoo is. It was uh -huh. a crescent moon, right? I got hit in the face. Now, for some reason, I had a moment of clarity. Even at, at you know five, six years old, I had a moment of clarity. I just got hit, and it, my eye was shut, and I could uh -huh. feel it. There was blood on my face. It was instantly swelling, you know, uh -huh. like I was hurt. Now, I could have cried and went home. I knew it. I could have cried and went home, and it would have been legit. You know, it's like, wow, he got whacked, man. You know, and right. he went on. Totally legit in the kid world. Totally legit. Right, totally. But for some reason, I realized that I could also stand there and take it and then keep throwing. Hmm. So I shook it off. Everyone checked it out. My eye was still intact. I picked up a rock and said, let's roll. Let's go, <laughs> right? Now, when I got to school with that big old black eye and the cut there, uh -huh. I, I, it looked cool. Uh -huh. Like, it, it looked cool, right? And I used to pick at the scab, uh -huh. so it would stay there, right? Uh -huh. Now, the whole point of that is, I spent my whole life looking for that reputation, mm -hmm. looking for that crazy, out of control, he'll do anything reputation, and it kept people away from me, and it gave me juice the whole time, mm -hmm. you know? So, so basically, all right, now, I lived my whole life like that based on that eye. Mm. And, wow. and so John Doe and Tom DeSavia, they wrote a couple of books, John Doe from X. It was, uh, the first book was called Under the Big Black Sun. Mm. And the second was called More Fun in the New World. And yes. John had asked me if I wanted to write chapters in both of his books, my story. So I did. Yeah. And I used to tell my kids, if I ever write the story about getting hit in the eye, I'm going to get a tattoo to mark it. So, so when the second book came out and I asked John, I said, well, what do you want me to write about? What are you looking for? Mm -hmm. And they said, we're not going to tell you because mm. you're going to do whatever you want anyway. And we always <laughs> like what you do. So just write whatever you want. And so the, the story I wrote is called The Ongoing Cost of a Low-Grade Immortality. And, and it's how you're paying for ego. Uh -huh. Like it's all about ego when it comes to music. And that you're not paying your dues until no one cares about you anymore. That's when you start paying. Interesting. When yeah. you're not getting invited to the big show on the weekend, yeah. when no one gives a shit about your band, when now this is when you pay for fame. Not when you're working hard and in the band and working, that's all the price of getting there. Yeah. But when no one cares anymore is when you pay. And so it was, it was a story about ego. Yeah. And, and so my daughter, I told my daughter, if I ever sold that story, I'm going to get the tattoo on my face. Uh -huh. And so she comes over one day and there's a check on the table. And she goes, what's this from? I go, well, I sold that story. She goes, let's go. So, <laughs> so I called up my friend, Lindsay Carmichael. And, and you know, he's like, really? Uh -huh. Really? And my daughter drove me over there and sat there. And really? Got it on my face. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. I love that story. That's a good one. Speaking of stories, so I got to tell you, when I fell in love with Jack Grisham, early 2000s, I'm living in the Bay Area, and uh, me and my roommate and a buddy of ours, there's a documentary 
playing in San Francisco. And I don't remember the name of the theater, but it's on Haight-Ashbury. It's near the amoeba that's down there, if anyone knows where this is. Little art house. And it's playing this documentary on SoCal punk. And I think it's called Rage. And uh, they're like, let's go see this movie. And I don't know anything about it. So I go. And you're featured very prominently in this documentary. And that opened my eyes to the sounds, the bands, and you in particular. You, the camera loved you. And I thought, I have to know more about Jack Grisham because I love what he's saying right now. And that's what turned me on to TSOL and turned me on to you and everything like that. And that's when I connected the dots that I had seen you in concert before and all that kind of stuff. Um, when you, first of all, what, I mean, how did okay, you get can involved? we talk in about that film? Yes, <laughs> please. Okay, the guy, Mike Bishop, who made that film is dead. Sadly, oh, he's dead. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, and he was, uh, he was a friend of mine, even though I got into it with him like a bunch of times. Uh -huh. Mike Bishop, he, he, okay, he was a singer, John Q. Public. That's yes. Was, John okay. Q. Public, okay, right. And one of the reviews of his band was, and this is the worst review ever, they said, Michael Bishop is like a Hollywood agent doing a Neil Sedaka impersonation. <laughs> What? <laughs> That's just the best. And, and he was like yes. that. So it's funny. I wrote the, uh, like the theme, theme song for the Rage movie uh -huh. um, because Mike called me and he goes, he goes, okay, I need, I need like a theme song. I need a theme song. So he goes, all right, I'm thinking about this. I'm punk, I'm punk, I'm punker than you. Punker than you could be. If you wanted to be punk, you couldn't be as punk as me. <laughs> I go, are you serious? And he was serious, right? He was serious. I go, dude, come on, man. I go, you can't. Look at, look at, give me five minutes. Give me five minutes. So I hung up the phone and I, I wrote this theme song for the movie and then uh, called him back and said, hey, I got this. And I went up to Gaza X. And Gaza produced it. And, no way. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> that is great. Yeah. And then some of those movies, like, there's a lot of me being bad because they want me to be bad. Mm. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, they'll go, well, he brags about this and this. It's like, look, man, they're paying me to be yeah. that. Yeah. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to yes. take them. And a lot, a lot of times, like, I, I didn't have a place to live. I've been homeless so many times, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, hey, they're gonna give me a couple thousand dollars to be in this movie. What do you want me to be? Yeah. You want, you want Bruce Willis and Die Hard? What do you want? You want, oh, oh, I see what you want. You want yeah. a she guard. You want, yeah. That? yeah, okay, that's what I am then. I'll I love it. That. Write the I check. You know how to turn on the Jack Grishamness. Um, so let me ask you about that. So we, like I mentioned, we talk about sort of the business side of things. You do a lot of things, and I want to ask you about, I mean, we've talked about the writing, and I want to ask you more about your photography as well. But at some point, I mean, when you come back to TSOL at, in the early 2000s and everything, is this how, this is how you make a living? I mean, th I'm wondering if there's a part of you that's like, this is, uh, this is almost a business decision. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, did you ever see, did you ever see Let It Ride with Richard Dreyfuss? Yes, I love that movie. <laughs> okay, great movie. You know, and it's funny because I'm friends with S.A. Griffith, who's in the movie. He plays one of the gambler guys where they get right. the tip, right? And I love S.A. He's a great writer and a great guy. And, uh, and he and I were talking about that movie. And uh, anyway, um, 
it's funny because Richard Dreyfus calculates how much people make. Uh-huh. Like, okay, track sheets, two track sheets, two thousand money, you know, blah, 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 blah. So when you say you make a living, it's like this. It's like, yeah, I make a living. It's not a good living. You know, it's a, it's a, one time I figured it out, it was minimum wage. Really? Like I yeah, I basically made like, you know, you've got to figure it out in a 24 hour time. Yeah. But I'm yeah. basically making, you know, $5 an hour. Oh my you know, gosh. To be, to be on the road, not with my family. Out yeah. in complete discomfort, yeah. you know, just for five bucks an hour, basically. Uh, so that's painful. Yeah. So the photography, though, that when I go to your website, that seems to be the focus of the Jack Risham website. Is that your new kind of lease on life? Is that your no, artistic? It's just because I haven't. It's just because I haven't put the other stuff up. On the that's website. true. It's but, not a very good website. There's not much yeah. on there. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, I just yeah. do it myself, and I get. I see something shiny, and I wander off. But, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I shoot photos. I picked up a camera and started shooting photos. I'm getting ready to start directing another film right now, okay. a, full, a full length film. Uh, I write books. Yeah. I, you know, that's what I do. I, Everything. I all disciplines that you don't succeed in. You can't make money in. You know what I mean? Music, yeah. music, literature, and photography. Right, right. So, you know, and I'm a hypnotherapist on top of it. Yeah, I meant to ask you about that. What is that? What does that even mean? I, you know, um, well, it, all these were always interest. They're all interesting stories, right? Uh-huh. So, I was homeless. Uh-huh. I'm living out of a car, and this was wasn't long ago. This is like, <laughs> okay, I don't know, maybe maybe like I think this was 2008, maybe 2008 or nine, right? Uh-huh. So I'm homeless. I'm I'm living in a car, and I would go to different Starbucks to use their Wi-Fi. I'd use their Wi-Fi, right? And uh, so I get this call from this business manager lady. And uh, she says, hey, uh, what are you doing? Where are you at? And I go, I'm at my office. She goes, I heard you were homeless. I go, well, I'm, you know, I got the car, man. I'm doing all right, you know? And, uh, and I did, I could have stayed at people's houses, uh-huh. Like, cause I do have a lot of friends, you know, yeah. but it's like, sometimes you just rather sleep in the car. It's like, I, well, I don't want to go over there and knock on the door and you want to talk to me. And yeah, uncle Jack's here and everybody's stoked. <laughs> it's like, look, I just want to lay down. I'm yeah. tired. Man. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. So she says, Hey, come meet me. So I go to this lady's office, very well to do, you know, I go to her office and she says, uh, you know, I've been, I've been watching you for years. Mm-hmm. And, and she goes, somebody with your looks and your charisma and your intelligence to be living in a car, yeah. you know, in, in the park. She goes, there, and you're sober. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a problem here. Right. And she goes, and I think the problem's you. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought, oh, fucking, Maybe. <laughs> all right, whatever. And she goes, would you, if I asked you to do stuff, would you do it? Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, it's like, uh, you know, what else do I got? So I said, yeah. So she basically sent me to school to learn neuro-linguistic programming and, uh, and hypnotherapy. And I, I went and did it. And her plan, she really wanted me to be like a Tony Robbins motivational uh-huh. guy. Yeah. And I am a great cheerleader. I can it tell. Was, it wasn't my bag because no. I have trouble. I can't take money from people. I, 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 I think that people should be smarter than they are. And I don't like, I can't take advantage. I mean, I would have been a great storefront preacher. Yes, if I would you would have. have. 
but but I did learn those things. I did learn how to be a hypnotherapist, and uh, and I I still use it sometimes. Okay, interesting, interesting. So do you you uh, I don't know. Do people do you have clients? Do people <laughs> do you have like an ad a website? What what is how does this work? Uh, I used to have some clients, but then people are real freaky. They're weird. Yeah, uh, you'll get the you know as a hypnotherapist, you get the women that basically. Oh, I feel like I'm going under. It's like, <laughs> it's like, lady, no, you're not, right. you know, or whatever, you know, and you know, you end up sleeping with a couple of clients, and then that, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> that becomes a problem. And then you know, who's really going to look me up online and say, just, uh, you know, I want this guy to be in my head? I would. I yeah. love Jack Grisham. I'd want him to do whatever he's going to do. I would pay you, Jack Grisham, just to be Jack. Come hypnotize me. Come yeah. take a picture. Whatever. Well, Tell me stories. And, 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 you know, and here's what's funny. It's, it, you know, I'm always taken care of. Uh-huh. Like, I, I lack for nothing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it may not be what somebody thinks it should be, but I really, like, I, I don't have a car. I don't, you know, but I don't uh-huh. need a car. You know, yeah. I got a motorcycle I'm riding around right now. And if some, I need to go somewhere, somebody picks me up. And, yeah. you know, you can't go anywhere anyway because it's COVID. And, yeah, and, that's true. You know, and I, I live down by the beach and I walk on the bike path and, you know, I talk to people and visit. And, uh, you Do you know, still surf a lot? Uh, well, I haven't in a while, but but I'm heading that way to get back in the water. Okay. I got guys bringing surfboards over. Come on, come out yeah. with us. You know? yeah. Yeah. And it's like I, I live this really simple, frugal little life. Yeah. And and I love it, man. My life's Good. just basically about, hey, everything's going to creation. Yeah. And I live here. Good. That's it. You know, okay. it's like, it's real, real nice. Good. Though. Okay. You deserve it because you're a legend in my book. Okay. I got to throw out just a few. These are, I'm sure, some of the, some of the questions that you've probably been asked a million times. These are some of the obvious ones. First of all, has... What was the impact, if anything, of Steven Adler wearing a TSOL t-shirt in the Sweet Child of Mine video? Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't care. Because it was okay. really, it was really, I, I do like Duff. Duff's a good guy. I like uh-huh. Duff. But, mm-hmm. but he was friends with the later metal kind of TSOL. And that was associated with a lot of that. So it was like cool they were wearing it. But I, I didn't really. It doesn't, okay. it, doesn't, it doesn't make a difference to me. I wondered. I wonder Because that's, you know, that's a thing. Everyone knows this. But does it does it amount to more people showing up at your show no. because Steven no. Adler wears a TSOL no. shirt? You know, no, it doesn't. I, you know, okay. it was funny today because I was discussing with my editor about uh, who I'd want to write blurbs for the book. <laughs> right? I thought, uh-huh. well, the people that I would want to write blurbs for the book, no one would give a shit about. Right. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. You know, like, you know it's like, yeah. now, you know, so who. Who, I mean, sometimes I like, I like little, like, like the Steve Nadler thing. Sometimes little things happen that I feel good about. Like uh-huh. somebody showed me a comic book that one of the lyrics for Dan, off dance with me got into the comic, but I was oh, nice. stoked at that little stuff. Yeah. Like it's yeah. fun. You know, yeah. it is fun. Yeah. Yeah. You have a legacy. Okay. The other one then what sparked all this was, uh, a couple weeks ago, I watched suburbia again for the first time in a long time. And there you are. And that's when it was like, I've been wanting to get Jack on here forever. I'm going to see if he'll do it. So what was the, I mean, you must get asked about that all the time. What's the, how did that happen? How did you get in well, there? Come I to find out you were dating the girl in the movie. 
Yeah, yeah, Jen. I really like her. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. I still get a chance to talk to her every once in a while. And but the one thing that's so embarrassing about that for me is I didn't even really understand they were making a movie. Uh, like I knew they were making a movie, but I didn't understand what it was to make a movie. Uh -huh. So so when you see in in the movie, I'm dragging my finger across my neck, saying stop, stop, stop. Uh huh. You know what I'm actually doing right there? I'm telling the director to stop. The cut. Yeah, because I, I screwed the words up and I was so self-centered into myself that I'm telling the director to cut and they left it in because it fit in the scene. It, it's really embarrassing that, that I, at times I can be that clueless, like, like just completely unaware yeah. of what's going on. Yeah. Like, like one time I'm at this tattoo convention and I'm talking to this guy and we're having a great conversation and I walk away and our bass player walks up to him and the guy says to our bass player, he doesn't even know where he is, does he? <laughs> and, and our bass player goes, probably not, probably <laughs> not. So, so half the time it's like, I, I don't even know what the hell's going on. Like yeah. somebody has to say, hey, okay, stop a minute, stop right. a minute. Just, I want you to look around here. Right. This is what's happening. Take it in, yeah. Did you yeah. stay in contact at all with Penelope? Uh, on and off, I, I called her uh, a little bit. I'd see her sometimes. You know, I'm still I still talk to some of the other people that were in that film. I talked okay. to him, and uh, but but not much. Okay, not, not okay. much. And I didn't even think of like it was like none of this stuff has any effect on me. Mm. Like it's like none of it. Oh, yeah. you've made these records. Okay. Okay. Oh, you write these books. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, it doesn't have any, there's no, it has no effect. Like, yeah. like, and sometimes I'll get on guys. It's like, dude, why, why are you walking tall? You haven't released anything in years. You haven't done anything since, you know? So what are you walking tall on? Something that, something that you did so far in the past. It's like, show me what you got now. Yeah. What, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? Not these cool records you made in 1977. What are you doing right now yeah. because right now is what you are i wonder what would have you know we were talking earlier about what have happened what would have become of you if you hadn't discovered punk i wonder what would have happened to jack if tsol had taken off if beneath the shadows become i mean you already kind of were this precursor to like sort of goth punk or goth rock or whatever people want to talk about if you suddenly are started are like opening tours with sisters of mercy or the cure and getting big and little by little you become an MTV band. What if that had happened to you? Well, I'd probably be dead, probably, yeah. to yeah. have that much thing. But, you know, and people used to say to me sometimes, they'd say, um, they'd say, oh, you have a fear of success. You hear that, fear of success. Mm -hmm. Well, look, nobody has a fear of success. No one has a fear of success. That's ridiculous. Wow. Oh, I, oh, a fear that I have more money than I need or blah, blah, blah. <laughs> What people I have found is what people have a fear of is they have a more of a fear of failure. They have a fear of giving their best shot and having that fall short. Yes. You know, and that's, that's what I see so much. It's like to not, you know, I'll see these people that are afraid to fail. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to just try something and maybe look bad or not sing great or not write great or not shoot a good, okay, whatever, man, but I'm going yeah. anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, looking back to that, what if things did get successful? 
I, you know, ego and money's bad news, man. Mm-hmm. And I had way too much ego for the money I had, which was none. Right. You know, and I right. couldn't imagine if I had more. Okay. So, so things are exactly as they should be. Okay. I, my life, somebody asked me one time, they said, well, you know, have you ever made a mistake? I said, how can I say I made a mistake? Yeah. If I feel good about where I am right now and my relation with people and what's happening, I'm right here. Well, all my actions, all my decisions, everything I've done got me to here. Yeah. So how can I say any one of them was a mistake? That's right. So I've That's never right. made a mistake. And yeah. here I am. Yeah. Good. Okay, last question. Well, I don't remember where. I think it was another one of these old interviews that I was listening to of you. You were talking about grave, dig- grave digging and grave robbing. Is that real? Did you, what do, I've always heard of that, but I've never known anyone who actually did it. So did you yes. actually dig up graves, bang into people's coffins, and no, what, steal no- something? There was no coffin banging, but there was some bone procuring. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, getting bones out of the grave. It was funny. I was in Europe with my, my second wife, and uh, I was in Europe with her, and I had bones, and she wouldn't let me take them on the plane because I got them out of a graveyard, you know. And uh, she goes, you can't take those on the plane. I'm not getting on the plane with you if you try to get on there with those bones. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so I had to leave them. You know, I left them in a hotel in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. So, you know, some, some no guy way. who died in the 18th century is getting left in a hotel in Amsterdam. That's but, his uh, legacy. But, you, know, okay. you know, never, you know, I wasn't, you know, busting in the wood and pulling bodies out. That's what I was wondering. There were some old cemeteries around here that people were digging into stuff and getting into it and grabbing things, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, just, just kids, you know, yeah. stealing the religious artifacts and doing all that kind of stuff. Okay. I was just curious. Last thing. Do you have a favorite memory when you sit there in your office in this church and, uh, you look back, I mean, we've talked about all these decisions leading you to where you are now and you're okay. Now, did you meet a hero? Did you, have an interaction? Did you? Uh, I mean, so many, so many. It, really? It's like, that's why, you know, just a multitude yeah. of them. Where, you know, and it's funny because my, my girl, Jennifer, and I were talking about this before, like how many moments when you had when, when you didn't need anything. Uh-huh. Like you didn't need a drink. You didn't need a snack. You didn't need to go anywhere. Like you were in complete contentment. Yeah. And, and I thought, God, man, I have had thousands of those yeah. like thousands and not necessarily i mean i had one on a crossing a freeway overpass just stand walking i was walking i didn't have a car i was walking from this crap job i had to home and uh, i just stood on the freeway overpass and looked at the cars and thought about what a great life i had you know sitting there and then you know and then also i had the same thing uh, off the coast of genoa uh, you know swimming in the mediterranean in an afternoon and it was, you know, 70-something degree water, beautiful day. I'm thinking, man, look at my life. Yeah. And I've had, I've had so many of those where I've woken up and said, look at my life. Good. Look at my Good. life. Good. Good. Yeah. I love it. Well, if I won the lottery or something like that, Jack, and I had the means, I would, I would pay you to be Jack Risham in some form. <laughs> I would either give you your own talk show or I'd put you on a nightly concert. I don't know what I would do, but I would just – I would want Jack Grisham's ness in my life all the time because I love it so much. Well, you'll have to come down and visit in real life one time. Okay, I would love it. I'm always, I'm easily found. Good. When all all this is over, we're going to go to lunch. 
All right, there you have it, Jack Grisham. If you didn't know Jack or were unfamiliar with him or the band or whatever, I hope I just introduced you to somebody that you're going to love very much because that's how I feel. And, I, you know, we didn't get into a ton of music in this one. It was really more his story than it was about albums and producers and songs and all that kind of stuff. But I want to close it out with one more song off of Beneath the Shadows. This is Soft Focus. And again, this is from one of the key hardcore punk bands of the early 80s, late 70s. And uh, so it's very different. Anyway, thank you, Jack, for doing that. It's so much fun. Uh, I think I'm going to hold off giving any teasers of who's coming up because I'm not exactly sure. Um, I will say you guys love our producer episodes. I got a lot of those in the can and I like to stagger them. So sometimes we go producer, artist, producer, artist. If that's the case, the next week might be a producer, but I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do. So just join us anyway, because it's going to be great. Huge thanks as always to Jan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man for everything. Thank you, buddy, for being my partner. Guys, you can like our Facebook page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And uh, no bonus material this week, I believe. So next week, next Tuesday, we'll have another episode. Thanks, guys.